0: Hey, hello there, Nick here. I'm the Director of Worship Arts and Director of Community at Holy Trinity Silicon Valley. Before we begin our sermon podcast for today, I wanted to extend an invite to you to join us for our Holy Week celebrations this season. Starting on March 28th, we'll be celebrating Maundy Thursday, followed by Good Friday, then Holy Saturday, and of course, finally, Easter Sunday. If you'd like to know more about how to join us, you can head to www.holytrinitysv.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and God bless.
1: Uh, it may be no surprise if you know Vicky, my British wife, that she and I actually enjoy British television, and particularly the things we enjoy are kind of detective series. Now, we have uh, abandoned the, the grittier ones, and we are more in the PG category, and we've discovered one called Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Now, this is about uh, two relatively young people early on in their career, Eliza Scarlett is a detective with a keen mind. She's very much like Sherlock Holmes, but since this takes place in Victorian England, she is without much support, both from a social perspective and certainly not from a career perspective. And yet she just has this insatiable need to do, to solve mysteries and to catch bad guys and to do those kinds of things. This is what her father was. He was a detective. Now in order for Eliza Scarlett to be able to have that, she needs to team up with Inspector Wellington. He is a uh, chief detective in Scotland Yard. So he needs her help because she's smart. She needs his help because he has resources and he's pretty good too. And he's also good in a tight spot. So the two of them are solving week after week, crime after crime. But along with this story is actually going, there's something going on between them. There's some kind of spark that's, that's happening. They, they like each other. They want to connect with each other a little bit more than they are able to. Uh, but each one of them, neither one of them wants to go first. Now, this is the stuff of romantic dramas and rom-coms and things like that. So this is nothing new. But they do it in a particularly interesting way. Vicki and I have been following this now for some time each week. We see a crime solved, but there's no resolution to their sort of smoldering, uh, budding romance, until finally at the end of this most recent season, he has declared his love for her. Standard sort of upright, stiff upper lip British guy finally putting his cards on the table. And he would like to have a life together with her. And she's struck by this. And you can tell that she wants this, and yet there's a conflict. Does she want it more than she wants her profession to make something, to show that she can do this in really what at that time is very much a man's world? But Inspector Wellington knows that. And so he says, I love you, but I am going away for a year on an assignment. I will not see you, but it is so that you can decide without my influence, without me being nearby, that you want this more than you want your profession. She is now in the middle of a test. She's now given this space, which at one part of her she doesn't want to have, but it's designed to prove or to reveal where her love truly lies. And this idea of a test of revealing where our love truly lies is what the gospel that Cindy just read is about in a very real way. This is Mark's gospel. Mark is writing this at a time where he is at the end of certainly likely his ministry and the apostle Peter's ministry. Church tradition says that Mark took what essentially Peter told him and wrote it down here. He's known as Mark the Evangelist. He's known as John Mark, as he appears in other parts of Scripture. But he's writing it for our benefit. And the test that's unfolded here is the test that Jesus now has with his disciples. Because up until this point, everything's been going well. Everything in the sense of they've hitched their wagon to a a legitimate Messiah. Jesus wasn't the first one that pretend, you know, that claimed to be a messiah, there were other pretenders, but he's the one who actually did what a messiah was supposed to do. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. And if that wasn't enough, he was also then showing that he was master over creation. He's calming the wind and the waves. He's walking on water. These are the things that would be characteristic of a messiah. And so the, and he's feeding 5,000, and he's feeding 4,000. The disciples and Peter are very much on this ground floor ministry opportunity, and they, it is going well from their perspective. And so now when Jesus then tells them, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You could understand their pushback. You could certainly understand Peter's. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must suffer. These are not the hallmarks of a Messiah that they understood in that day. And so Peter does push on him and just kind of takes him aside and rebukes him. But Jesus rebukes him back and saying, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You don't understand what God is doing, that I must suffer. But then on the third day, I will be raised again. So suffering before resurrection, death before life eternal. But then he takes this, Jesus does, and he provides the teaching for us. He called the crowd, him along with his disciples and said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me he's telling them that things have changed a little bit it's now a test to see where their true affections lie do they just want to be part of this amazing movement and it's easy because you're letting jesus do most of the work at this point or do they want to personally go in the path that he is now saying that he will go in. A path that involves suffering, a path that involves rejection, a path that will mean death all before resurrection. That's what he's calling. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying that there's no other way for us to follow him. There's no other, there's nothing in this world that's going to be better or actually life-giving. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy what we are truly made to have. Because our hearts are truly made to know the Lord Jesus. Our lives are truly made to be with him in eternity. But that is based on the choice that he gives us to follow him. Will we follow him? and some i think most of us here like yeah i'm doing my best to follow him and yet in this time of lent we want to explore and part of lent is is looking at those parts of our life where maybe we're not following with the the focus or the um the consistency that we might maybe there are things in this world that still entice us somehow and we're all guilty of this in certain degrees. Somehow we think that that one thing that the world is offering is worthy of some sort of compromise in our life and walk with Christ. And if you've been in any of those, there's times when we realize that God lets that play out in his mercy and we realize that what the world was offering was never gonna be the thing that was meant to satisfy us. There's all kinds of examples in our world. I... Uh, came across this news item recently. Some of you may have heard that the uh, Fry Festival, the Fry Music Festival, looks like that might be back on uh, in our cultural moment. Some of you might remember that from 2017. The Fry Festival was this, this, this was gonna be this amazing music festival. Something like 33 top musicians were gonna come to a private island in the Bahamas. And people were, anybody who was anybody was going to come to this. Influencers were putting stuff out on social media. you got to come and see this. There were going to be, I'll read it because it's almost too amazing. It was going to be an immersive music festival, two transformative weekends on the boundaries of the impossible. That sounds like kind of the world. Customers were promised accommodation in modern, eco-friendly geodesic domes and meals from celebrity chefs. Artists, top drawer, celebrity chefs, Private island, what could go wrong? Well, as it turned out, and the reason the, the Fry Festival is in the news today is because a lot went wrong. It ended up that because of poor planning, insufficient funds, and just outright fraud, that those guests, and it, the tickets did sell quickly, the guests, when they arrived, didn't go get escorted to a geodesic dome. They weren't greeted by all kinds of fans given their badges and, and ushered into some musical venue that was playing really cool music. Instead, they were uh, escorted to a remote parking lot near a a resort. The later arrivals were taken to the grounds on a school bus where the true state of the festival site became apparent. Their accommodations were little more more than scattered disaster relief tents, dirt floors, and mattresses that had been soaked by a rain that morning. It became a disaster. People started to really kind of panic to get off the island. The thing that finally did it in is people were posting photos of what the accommodation, what the experience was like, and the iconic picture that got, that got posted was, here's our meal from sort of the gourmet chefs that have all abandoned the island. By the way, none of the musicians showed up. The chefs didn't show up. What did show up was they, somebody said, here's my meal. It was a cheese sandwich in a foam container. That was it. Now it became a meme, it became a laughing stock. The guy actually was tried for fraud and found guilty. An immersive musical festival. Two transformative weekends turn out in reality to be a cheese sandwich. Over and over again, life in this world has huge aspirations. But apart from God, apart from his plan, apart from his will... When we seek after those things, at some point, those will be disappointments. Praise God for the times we can feel those disappointments in this life. because Jesus actually talks about the fact that what does it He, he knows that the world is not the place that we belong. And he says, even if you're the most sex, su- successful person in this world, and yet, if you gain it all, but you don't know Christ, you're not following Him. What does it profit you? What does it profit a man, a person, if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? For what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And in that comment, Jesus is also saying something about the journey that he's calling us to. That is a journey that is the one that matters. It is the only journey that we should actually be taking because nothing in this world will truly satisfy. He knows that we're not made for this. But he knows that in order to follow him, there's going to be a time of suffering. There's going to be a time of self-denial. There's going to be a time of having to pick up our cross. What does that look like? What does self-denial actually mean? It can be, you know, at various times, various eras of Christian history, it's taken on as we were talking about in catechesis this day, sort of a particular piety, like I'm, I'm more holy than that person because I'm doing very ascetic practices. That's not primarily what it means. To, to deny oneself is to say that there's a part of me that loves this world, but that's the part of me that I want to kill, that needs to be killed. It cannot be reasoned with. It cannot be compromised with. You cannot make a deal with it. It just needs to be killed. Why? Because it is inimicable. It is against the things of God because it has its home and its heart in this world. This is why Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your flesh, that part of you that is, that is just that natural fallen part that, we're, that, that each of us has and that is in this world. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death greed. Put to, get, put to death idolatry. No compromise. No No halfway measures. And so when Jesus is calling us to follow him, he's calling us to be uh, ones that deny ourselves, to deny those parts of us that want to run after uh, fry music festivals. He also says to pick up our cross and follow him. Actually, Luke's version is follow him daily. So... All but one apostle, church tradition tells us, of the 12, die a martyr's death. They will literally follow him in that way. But Luke adds a helpful piece in terms of daily, which means I have been, uh, Paul says this, I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. There's something about following the way of Jesus that says, this isn't my home. This isn't what I was made for. This isn't my identity. This isn't my future. All of those things which we are naturally desirous of knowing, we, know, we want to know who we are. We want to know who God is. We want to know what our purpose is in this world. We want to know when, where we will end up. All of those things are good and those are natural and those are understandable and they are all answered in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. Who we are in Christ is we are made his very good, precious creation. So precious that he emptied himself of all his heavenly glory and comes down and goes through this. Insults from people that have no idea who he is. Confusion on behalf of his disciples who thought he should be somebody else, Allah, Peter's confrontation. Even his own family thought that he'd lost his mind at one point. He comes down to show us the way to be like us, to suffer the same things that we suffer. Maybe your family thinks that your faith is a little bit weird or they don't understand it or the stands that you're taking at work ethically and they think, oh man, if you would just get with the program a little bit more, we could, be, we could move farther faster, as they say. But Jesus came to show us that we belong to him, that we are made for him, that this life is not the life that, we are, that is meant to be lived apart from him. That the home that we have is the home that, that, that is full of glory. In the Romans reading that you heard, Paul says, we, you know, I, the glory that we will experience is not worth comparing to all the stuff that we're going through in this life. Paul knew, he had got a taste of that firsthand. He was called up into the third heaven. So he's speaking a little bit autobiographically. That may be a word for us today here. Somebody that says, the things that I'm in the middle of, the stuff that I'm going through, I don't know how I'm gonna finish that race, that course. I don't know if I can stay standing. I don't know where help or relief will come from. I am just at a loss. God knows each and every one of those situations, each and every one of those opportunities setbacks, those hardships, each and every one of those things that actually represent a version of picking up our cross and following him, and he has a plan to get us through that and into a place where we will be able to praise and enjoy glory with him. Most of those things will get resolved this side of heaven. Some of them may not, but all of them, they will be resolved one way or the other, and there will be a time where we will see how God used each and every one of these. Think of, therefore, this call to pick up our cross daily and follow him, this call to be denying of ourselves, not as something, Don't focus on the, the genuine challenge and difficulty that goes with that, but see it really as a place of discovery, even self-discovery, if you can use that term. That's a secular term that usually means I want to discover who I am based on my criteria and based on what I think about stuff and how I read other influences. But self-discovering meant in the, in the sense that Jesus is revealing who we are in him. And as I said, where we are meant to go. So to follow him is to know ourselves. To follow him is to find real purpose in, in our lives. And ultimately to see how he used every situation, every issue, every moment for his glory. That's actually the invitation that comes with his whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. There's no choice. There's no going back. There's no Fry Festival. But whoever loses my life, whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. So I pray in this time of Lent that this is a time where we would take the clarity of this scripture and bring it before the Lord in our prayers and take every aspect of your life and see how he's using that or see, take the aspects that he shows you and see how he, you were, he's using that for, for following him in the way of the cross. Even our infirmities. sometimes we're, you know, some of us are wrestling. The older you get, the more you have to wrestle with health stuff and just... Uh, a, a loss of, you know, decline in abilities. Paul says, outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's no situation that is outside of what Christ is talking about. No situation that doesn't allow us to live out this call to pick up our cross and follow him. But we do so as he helps us. And he will help us. And if this finds you in a place of, Man, I've just been trying to do this over and over again. And if I'm really honest, I have found myself away from him because I have been trying to do this way too much on my own. Then be encouraged by the example of John Mark, who I mentioned earlier, the writer of this gospel, the one who heard from Peter and wrote down what Peter told him to write. He wasn't always with Peter. He was, in fact, with cousin Barnabas, and Paul the Apostle early on in his career. He was part of the first missionary group that was sent out. And they go to a place, and he leaves the group. He just bails on this missionary activity. Pamphylia, we don't get details, but somehow he said, I've had enough. The call that you gave me, Lord, is not the call. This next step is not the one I want to take, so I'm out. Scripture tells us he goes to Jerusalem and then he becomes the subject of a fair amount of church chatter, potentially, because there's another missionary journey that gets teed up, and they want, to, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again, and Paul is not going to have any of it. A, a disagreement, a loud disagreement, brews up. It ends up splitting the missionary team. A little church drama, maybe the first early recording of church drama, is going on right here. Over John Mark, over his. Sense of like, I'm, I, this is just too overwhelming for me, Lord. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement, takes his cousin John and they go. And they go on a missionary journey. Paul, sticking to his guns, will take Silas and they'll go in a different place. Did they leave with separation? That's really the last time you hear about John, Mark, in Acts. But then you hear about him a little bit later in Paul's writings. In Colossians, he says... Uh, greet John Mark. I've written you, I've given you instructions about him. There's a, a sense of some kind of reconciliation, a sense of he's back on mission. He's following once again the path that Jesus has for him. He has resumed his cross shouldering and he is moving forward. And then, even at the end of his life, Paul's life, he writes his last epistle is 2 Timothy, and he says, Send John Mark, for he is useful to me in ministry. I think even now we can each resonate with perhaps a John Mark phase of our life that was apart from where we knew God wanted us, apart from uh, just his plan for us, apart from perhaps his calling for us in whatever situation, whether that's work or family or home or marriage or neighbors, You know, there's aspects of these callings. But be encouraged that Jesus is just as eager that we would walk with him, just as eager that we would actually discover who we are in him, just as eager that we would see how he seeks to use our lives for his kingdom. John Mark didn't know that we'd be reading his gospel 2,000 years later, I'm pretty sure. But here it is, because he made a decision to once again pick up
0: his cross and follow This sermon podcast has been a production of Holy Trinity Silicon Valley. We are an Anglican Church in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, in the Anglican Church in North America. Our community is formed around the Scripture, Spirit, and Sacrament. If you'd like to know more about Holy Trinity, you can head to www.holytrinitysv.org.